The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And we have as a guest once again, Michael McManman, the founder of the College Internship Program. Michael, welcome again to Different Brains. Thank you for having me, Hackey. Michael, tell us about your educational background and your professional qualifications. Well, basically, I have a I did it. My path is a little different than most people. I started working with kids right after college and for different state and uh, private uh, programs. And then I started my own group homes in Las Vegas and I sold those and started the college internship program about 33 years ago. But I got educated all along the way. I got a master's in counseling, then a master's in human development, then a doctorate in special education, then I got licensed as a psychologist while I was working. And what that was good, the reason that was so good was because I had to do all of my papers and all of my experiments and everything, and I was working with people, with kids, with parents the entire time, plus having my own kids while I'm doing it. So I got to really make and because I have Asperger's, I want everything to be practical and useful. So my research was very practical in nature, and it was really right, you know, on par with the curriculum I was trying to develop. So it was a benefit to me to be that, um, to be educated that way, and to be working while I was educated. If you were saying how corporations need an Aspie, and I'll go further than that, they already have. Aspies and people with OCD and ADHD and bipolar and anxiety and depression, and you name it, working for them. Recognize it, give them the extra tools they need, the accommodation they need, and they'll do a better job for you. And this is what I try to tell companies it's better for your bottom line. You make more money. They understand exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. You know. So, my friend, my friend Michael Wilcox who you probably have seen him speak before. He's, he was a board member for AANE in Boston. He worked for Morgan Stanley in doing their you know, calculations and stuff on computer analytics um, for the stock market in a little cubicle and retired in, the fi- in his 50s, not knowing he had Asperger's. And he could never keep a relationship, but he did an amazing job for them and had plenty of money and to buy a farm for cash and stuff. And so, but when he realized that he was dating a woman and she, um, she asked him to come, she said, my family is very Catholic and I want you to come to a baptism that we're having in our family. And it goes on all day and we do all this stuff. So she, about a month later said, are you coming to the baptism at the church? It's at this time. And he said, yes comes to the baptism and meets her there. And then afterwards, he's going to drive off. And she said, well, I told you how important this was to me. It's like all day thing and everything. And he realized that his social thinking was just that she just wanted him at the baptism because that's what she said to him. And he didn't think he was, that was really a problem for him. But he, 
started to see that it really was at his age he got diagnosed and um you know the social thinking part of it people in my relationships people have always said to me you couldn't possibly think i meant that when i said that to you and i said that's what you said and that's what i did and then they get they look at me like i'm lying or that i am you know just covering up or something and and they can't believe that even after living with me that that's what i would do so it does have an effect still well it still does it is hard to believe in this uh, you know i i talk about in the aspiratools book some of the stuff with my daughter rebecca who's got a discrete math degree from georgia tech and is halfway through a masters in applied psychology that when things come up with something is taken literally and they don't know what the idiom means and they don't get the social cue but it is trainable and it is learnable and neuroplasticity is a wonderful wonderful thing it is but it would all go a lot better for society if we all embraced neurodiversity recognized it and not made it such a big stigma yeah it's when i interviewed steve ronick who's the head of the uh, henderson behavioral uh, health down here which has 800 employees and sees 30,000 patients a year. He said, "Hacky, why is it there's no stigma if you go to the oncologist or the cardiologist, but if you go to a mental health professional, it's like there's a stigma to that. We get better results, <laughs> you know, kind of thing." And um exactly. a, a lot of it is that what are some of the things that you feel? Now I know you're writing books, you're in all kinds of media, you're speaking around the country. to our different brains audience who want to help and volunteer uh and and do something in their own life to be helpful what advice would you have for them in that regard um uh, if they're going to volunteer there's plenty of organizations to go to um you know they can go to their local autism society or anything like that but one of the things i did want to bring up if it's all right to change the subject was um in my new book there's a section called goodness of fit and i wrote an article on that section too and what that is is that not only are we having employers choose us but it's almost almost as important for an sp kid to to look at the sensory fit on a job the uh, emotional fit on the job the intellectual fit whether that job is going to stimulate them enough the employer fit what kind of person will they be working with uh, you know all of these the environmental fit you know when steven shore first went to work as an accountant when he got an accounting degree he couldn't handle working in the offices of this accounting office that he was in he tried to ride his bike and put it in the furnace room and he came in and he was sweaty and and it was in a cubicle with bright lights but if he had been in a small mom and pop accounting firm and in the back room where they let him do whatever the hell he wanted like sort of like Michael Wilcox on on Wall Street he probably would be there still so we were sort of fortunate that it didn't work for him uh and he went and got a different degree in special education so but that's a problem those are problems those those the fit finding the right fit for you so you don't get a job that you can't handle. And I'll expand upon that. You know, we mentor uh, a lot of people at uh at different brains in a little production studio there. 
and uh, our neurodiverse interns who are a wonderful, great, productive group. And uh, uh, they all have different diagnoses per se, and I don't solicit them, they just kind of come. But one of the things our whole educational and trade and uh, employment system don't provide that we try to do is to get give you the exposure to different things. So it's not only about the lighting and sensory issues. Like we have one uh, autistic individual who's extremely smart and very, very good who uh, wanted to be a film critic. And uh, he came in and we tried him in all different things. And I uh, first yeah. thing I did was say, do a critique of the movie The Square Root of Two with Darby Stansfield from Scandal that I wrote, produced, and directed. And he came in the next day and said, well about the quality of a hallmark or a lifetime. Very amateurish, very amateurish. Uh, but we had him try different things. So Joseph had him shooting, has him video editing, transcription, blogging. Uh, and he found out, to his surprise, that he loves and is very good at video editing, which is a great art. He can sit in front of that computer and do a great job. And I said, you know, you can go make six figures out in L.A. He said, really? I said, yeah. If you find a job that you love doing in an environment you like and you're good at it and you can also make a good living and help other people at the same time, that's a trifecta. Right. And our system yeah. doesn't provide for that. College no. internship program does some, though, right? Right. Everyone has to have an internship and everyone has to do community service. No matter whether they're going to college or not, they still have to have an internship. Because you notice that the med schools now and the veterinary schools and the um, uh, law schools won't take anyone unless they've actually worked in a law office or a veterinarian office because they get these people who take up space. It's very expensive to get a veterinary degree. And then they become a veterinarian and they don't want to deal with blood or poop or and so it's a real problem. And lawyers who, there's how many lawyers do you know who don't practice law anymore with law degrees? They either can become a politician or retire. So it's a problem. And uh, I would tell parents that you want to have your kid experience all kinds of work environments and volunteer positions because you don't know what you don't know. And just because they're good at they think they're going to be a video programmer or whatever, you know, they think a video game, whatever, which a lot of them are stuck on. Doesn't mean they really aren't better at something else or will like something better than I went for an English BA in college and I volunteered at all, lots of different volunteer positions, but I went to an orphanage on the weekend in a little, you know, a, um, a station wagon. I guess they don't have station wagons anymore. But um, we went in a station wagon with a bunch of guys and girls from the college. And guess what? Doing that internship, I mean, that community service, I learned I wanted to work with kids. And I met my wife in the back of that, you know, station wagon with a whole bunch of other people. And uh, so uh, that's what happened. And so you need to get them out there doing different things. Just because you fed their, their special interest, which is video games or whatever, and you say, oh, he's really good at this, he knows everything about this, doesn't mean he's really good at that. He could be better at something else or enjoy something else even more. 
But that's what he got attention for, and that's what he was interested in when he was a child. So it doesn't mean that he's, you know, you got to look at the whole picture. What's the biggest misconception you feel that people have? Well, that the biggest one that, that's diminishing is that the college degree is going to be the way. For a lot of them, it's not going to be the way. They might get a certificate in something at the college and then just have good work experience. And you notice that uh, Bill Gates and uh, whoever's head of CNN was head of CNN, they didn't even finish their degrees at Harvard and at uh, Brown. They didn't finish them. So they don't have degrees. And so that's not maybe the best example for these kids because we want them to have degrees if they can and it'll help them. But life experience and, and work experience is almost as important because if you're 23 and you come out of college and don't know how to do your own laundry and don't know how to take a bus and don't know how to drive a car or date anyone or you're going to be like totally, it's hard enough for a regular college kid to come out of college and figure out how to do all those things themselves if they haven't lived off campus or anything. So you're just handicapping your kid. He's handicapping himself by coming out that way. And I want to amplify on that in the following sense to our audience, that what I've been learning also is that neuroplasticity never stops. Yeah, it's greater when you're younger, but look, you're an example of how your brain rewired itself well into your adulthood. So I don't want anyone listening to this to think your only window is up through 26 or any age. Yes. In fact, we're more, we're more childlike, more youthful, more able to make changes at a later. It's part of the syndrome. We can, my kids say to me, just one of them said last week, dad, it's amazing how you are able to change your life and, and do and become who you want to become. And, um, it's because we do, we are long-term learners. We're fascinated by learning. I'm learning Spanish. I'm writing three more books. I'm doing my art. I live in two countries and I still make the time to see all my children. So we're capable of a lot of really good things well into our, I'm almost 70 years old and I feel like I'm 23 probably because mostly I'm that immature, but you know, it's the way it goes. It comes with the territory. Well, you look in great shape. And I got to tell you, Thanks. what I've been learning also is that, you know, being an MD and everything, even though I was an orthopedic surgeon, but the most underrated things for longevity and health and happiness and call it youthfulness, for lack of a better term, are the socialization and using your brain, and exercising, and getting rid of stress, which is my number one challenge. I haven't been able to do it. And eating a decent diet, which basically is getting rid of all the processed stuff. You know, you can call it Mediterranean, well, whatever. But I, I see yeah. your habits, and it's not just when you, Michael, are getting ready to give a talk. It's also how you wind down. I, I, you know, I remember we were going out to dinner and you were winding down in the pool in the hot tub at the end of a very, very productive right, right. day. 
And uh, okay. I, do you want to talk about wellness for a minute? I would love to talk about wellness. Okay. I wanted that was my verbose way of saying I want to hear what you have to say about wellness. Well, yeah. Let me just say that um, that ability to change and research things and then use new information. Once these kids become self-change agents, they can do just about anything. If they want to be a physicist or build house, they can figure out how to do it. So they're very smart. And once they start working with other people's biocomputers and using the internet and everyone around them and socializing and being able to talk to people and problem solve, it's endless what they can do. So this year, these are the changes I've made this year. Okay, I've been gradually moving to Mexico. I've socialized like amazingly down there with people my age and all the people around me. I'm not afraid to go up and join something or play pickleball or go to a, you know, a concert with some other people or go out to dinner. So I have like this different life that I've never had before. So that's just one area. Then I went online and said, what are the most, the 20 most um, vibrant foods for older men to eat to stay emotionally vibrant and sexually vibrant and they're like spinach ginger you know there's avocados all these things i never liked avocados in my life and i hated the texture the taste but now i eat avocado i taught myself in the last two months to eat avocados i put it in the middle of you know a sandwich and just disguise it with onions and everything else and I eat it, and I've gotten to like it. So those are just in that area, just food. Now, in exercise, I swim, and the place I bought into in Mexico has a volcanic heated pool. They change the water three times a week. It's a huge pool. I can swim anytime I want. It's warm in the winter and the summer. It's always warm. So I swim in that nice water. It's good for my skin. It's good for my body. And my, you know, my brain. Then I play pickleball, which is very social. And you switch teams all the time. You're with other people. You introduce yourself. And I've met a lot of friends. One of the rules I set for myself in the last few years, which changed all of my adolescence and all those years, I denied myself socialization. And here's a job reference. So I was the guy who in the office, when I packed my lunch, I put it in the staff lounge, and then they would come to me, all of the staff, and say, hey, we're going to lunch for Barb's birthday. Do you want to come? I didn't have any flexibility to do that. I knew I was eating that sandwich that I made, was in the refrigerator, and I didn't want to go because I would have to talk to people and everything and socialize. And what did that do? It handicapped me socially. It handicapped me as far as promotions. It did all those things. So I made a rule for myself in my older age. Someone says, do you want to come over to my house or do you want to do this? Or do you want to go out to eat on Friday night or go to this concert? Unless I have an absolutely immediate, really important reason to say no, I say yes. And so I've grown so much in the last five years even just from doing that. So this is where you become a self-change agent. We have to teach our students to be able to do that for themselves. I like that terminology, a self-change agent, a self-advocate too, and a, a changer. That's, that's just great.
I'm sure a lot of our audience wants to get in touch with you and the college internship program. What's the best way for them to do that? Really, the easiest way is for them to go to collegeinternshipprogram.org and then follow the links for me and anything they want to see that all my videos are on there, etc. And what if they want to uh, buy your books? Uh, they would go to Jessica Kingsley Publishers. That's uh, really online and it's the easiest way to get anything. So Jessica Kingsley Publishers and it's right online. Tell us the name of your upcoming new book. Okay, that's Employ. Just Employ. It's it's millennial. I had to convince the publisher that that is a good way of putting it. Employ, and it's a call. It's a readiness uh, employment readiness workbook. So Employ an employment readiness workbook, and it can be self paced. What's really nice about this book is this is where the Asperger's comes in again. I insisted this time that it be utility of language. We didn't waste words. We made it very clear, lots of graphics, lots of exercises, stories. Everything's to the point we cut the words out and made it so you can go through this with a job coach or a parent or even by yourself if you're um, and self-paced. And it starts with the fundamentals of the understanding of the work situation because a lot of them don't understand that goes all the way through every area and what age group is that aimed at or is it for any age it's from high school to college through college and uh, so it's that age group that it's written for well michael mcmanman we want to thank you so much for being a guest here on exploring different brains we look forward to continue to highlight your work here at differentbrains.org. In any way, we can help you and your organization and your son and the college internship program achieve your worthy goals. We're very, very glad to. Thank you so much for having me. And I wanted to say one thing. One of the hardest parts of interviews for me is that I've had to learn the social skill of asking you questions and not just talking all the time. So it was hard for me not to say, well, how's your family? Or how is your business going? How do you... You know, it was really difficult because now I try to use reciprocal conversation skills, you know. And so because Aspies, it's easy for us to just lecture you, right? <laughs> well, our audience doesn't want to hear about me. They want to hear about you. Michael McManman, the College Internship Program, thank you so much for being with us here at Different Brains. Thank you very much for having me. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.